Welcome to the Glow Podcast, the show that's raw, real, and absolutely inspiring. Get ready to laugh, cry, and get ready for a real, raw, unfiltered ride as we dive deep into the incredible and sometimes controversial stories of your favorite celebrities and influencers. This is where the extraordinary becomes the ordinary and where inspiration knows no bounds. And now your host, the former WWE superstar, viral TikToker, celebrity fitness and nutrition coach, and all-around force to be reckoned with, Gabby Tuft. Welcome to the Globe Podcast. This is Guided Lifestyle Optimization. We cover everything from health and fitness, wellness, emotion, and optimizing your life with inspirational stories from amazing human beings. Today we have a very special guest, a friend of mine. She is a political commentator. She's got a viral YouTube channel, and she's very well known in our community. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Blair White to the Globe Podcast. Yay. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, it's my pleasure, hon. Yeah, yeah. We met a few weeks ago on set of something we cannot talk about, but that was so special. Super top secret. Right. So like that entire experience was so cool meeting everyone. And like out of all the people I met, it was like one of the highlights was meeting you. I Same. Exact yeah. same. It was funny. I remember I saw you, you were across the way on the set. I was sitting with a couple people I can't, I still can't mention anybody yet. Probably another month or two before we can mention it. But we were chit chatting and then... I saw, I thought it was you. I wasn't sure. I'm like, God, that looks like Blair. I'm like, huh. And we had never met before that. And you kept walking. I'm like, no, there's no way. Like, it can't be her. And then you walked back on my side of the set. You're like, oh my God. And I looked at you. I was like, oh my God. And then from yeah. then on, it was like, hi, we're besties. I was in costume too. Yeah. So I don't usually dress like that, you know. So <laughs> I, I think that was part of it too. Just, yeah. It kind of threw me off. Uh, but we hit it off so well. It mm -hmm. was just, it was like, Wow, we had followed each other for a while. Yeah. And then uh, I had a chance to get to know Blair as a human. I I know with um, with what you do, everybody knows what you stand for and your opinions and everything. But over those couple days when I was there, we were there for two days. At least I was there for two days. I got to know Blair as a human, which was such an incredible experience. Oh, thank you. Yeah, oh we, I know we had so many connecting moments when you know we're, we're shooting this video and there were so many symbolic moments that mm. you, you and I talked we felt like it would bridge the gap between the community and just really create a lot of love in the world and there were some moments where I had goosebumps and me too but I I just got to know you as a person I don't think like many people get to know you as a person and I think that's what might be missing we talked a lot about empathy mm -hmm. so I want to I want to talk about you <laughs> Let's do it. You're you're correct though that like not a lot of people do get to know me because I feel like, you know, I'm very guarded. Yeah. You know, and so I don't let a ton of people around. I'm very like if I become friends with someone, like it's very like I go into it with intent and with like an understanding of like are they going to be a good person or not. Like I analyze the hell out of people before I even. Not that I was like doing that to you like that, because yours is more of like an energy thing. You're just more of like, oh, this is just like a good person that I'm going to vibe with. I just knew it. That's how I felt about you too. Yeah. yeah. And I can understand being guarded. I mean, coming, you and I both being trans, it's like we tend to be a little more guarded about our feelings and who mm -hmm. we talk to. So take me back. Take me to your child. Like, where are you, where are you from? Where did you grow up? I know you, you talked about California, right? You grew up yeah, in California? Yeah. I'm born and raised in California. Okay. A lot of people comment like, 
um, when are you going to drop the Valley Girl accent? And it's like, I literally grew up in the Valley, so I don't know. It's probably never. Was but, it Fresno, you said, or Chica? Where, where no, was it was Northern California. Mm-hmm. And then um, it was a little town called Chica. It was my like college town. Okay. But I was... I was raised in an even smaller town no one even knows the name of called Corning. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. I know where Corning is. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, wow. No one does. I know. It's <laughs> it's because I have friends in Chico. And yeah, so yeah, I yeah. know that general area. Like uh, one of the wrestlers from AEW, Brian Cage, good friend of mine, he's from Chico. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you were, you were raised in Corning. Small yeah. Small town. Very small. I think it, we didn't have a Walmart. You didn't have there a Walmart? There was no Walmart. Well, that's There's probably why you still do. have a soul. <laughs> yeah, not that like having a Walmart is like a great thing, but like I'm just making it like there was nothing to do. Right. You know, I was just. That's it. Just yeah. hang out. So when you were when you were young, you, both your parents were around at the time when you were young? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I grew up in a nuclear like husband, wife. I had a brother, a half brother okay. from a previous marriage on my mom's side. But, you know, growing up was like super, I'm still unpacking it now. It was super, you know, there was a lot of trauma. Mm. There was a lot of, you know, incidents with just that town in general, like the people in it, you know, like being the only, you know, I'm not going to say the word, but I usually say on my channel because I'm a little <laughs> more raw. I say, no, be being, as raw, girl, be as raw as you want here. This is totally unfiltered. <laughs> being the only, you know, faggot in the town, right? basically. Uh, because I learned that word by like preschool, you know, from, oh the, other, my God. from the other kids. And I'm like, how do you know that? Um, but when I tell that story and there was a lot of other stuff I've never really been open about that happened, but you know, when I tell those things, it's not like a woe is me thing. It's like a, I'm telling you what I survived. Like I survived some crazy stuff growing up. Um, so a lot of it's school and in the town where... And my family, you know, family. there was a lot of, you know, I grew up, I was born into a family of like a bunch of different traumas that they all had. I had an older half-brother who was a teenager when I was like in middle school and he was involved in gangs and, you know... Oh, God. Substance abuse, drug use. My mom's an addict. And then my dad, you know, had a lot of things wrong with him, but... um so, you know, it was a lot, but again, it's like when I say that, I say it as I cannot believe I survived that. Like I'm actually such a bad bitch thinking I'm the first entrepreneur in my family. I'm the first, you know, uh, sort of, you know, successful person really out of my family. Okay. And, um, not that I like that, you know, I, I wish the best for all my family back home, but there's just like a lot of problems. Okay. So in my adult life, I'm steering clear. Well, that's something to be proud of I mean look at you now that's crazy when uh you know you mentioned like I was on a little faggot so when did you know (laughs) I mean I think that's so cute (laughs) it's real it is very real um when did you know you know that you were swinging the opposite direction um surprisingly a long time after the faggot word because you know I was getting called out by little kids but like I didn't know what that meant really okay um but I guess I liked you know, I started thinking about liking boys around probably the normal age everyone starts liking anyone. Right. Um, but the trans stuff was more of a a longer journey. You know, I figured that out a little later than like being a kid. I think I was, yeah, I was 20 when I transitioned. And how old are you now? I'm just turned 30. Yeah, you look amazing for 30. God. Thank you. <laughs> if I could rewind the clock and I could be 30 doing this shit all over again, I'd be a whole, <laughs> I just feel, I feel my age right now. What age did you transition at? I started when I was 43. 
right before my 43rd birth, no, 42nd birthday, 42nd birthday. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm 45. So can I ask, was that, um, I know you're interviewing me, but like, no, I'm so I, like I like conversations. Um, is that something that took until that point for you to realize or was it something you maybe suppressed? So I, I'm not sure. When I was a kid, I had tendencies. Um, but it, then again, I, I, a question like, was it specific to being trans or does every little boy go through? Because right. I used to get dressed up in my mom's clothes all, clothes all the time when I was home. I'd play with girls' toys, you know, all, all those things. And uh -huh. I had more girlfriends than boyfriends. I did not get along with guys at all. Uh, and I was always wondering what it was like to be a girl. But I buried it. So, you know, you're, you're 15 years younger than me. So we didn't have internet, cell phones, or anything growing up. I had no context for what I was going through. And then I just watched kids beat the shit out of boys that acted feminine. I'm like, nope, oh, can't wow. have that happen. So oh there was just nothing that I could, I could figure out. So I either suppressed it or that was normal for every, you know, boy growing up. And then about 36-ish, it started to like resurface. Right. So that's, that's where it was with me. What about what stuff about will you? resurface in life? So it's yeah, it's weird, and that's you know I've got like some interesting talking points for you and I, and that was one of them because you know I was going to ask you when did you start to figure it out for yourself? Um, I you know like you sort of it was always there, okay. but I had less of a, an ability to mask it because obviously you said that you observed like the feminine males mm. getting bullied and stuff. I was yeah. that one. So it was always present. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people saw it in me before I saw it. Um, oh, so like your parents and your friends noticed it? Yeah. Like not like that it, it was a trans thing because they didn't understand that entire concept, but it was like a, there's some kind of feminine, like, you know, probably in their simpler of words, they would have said like wants to be a girl or whatever. Got it. Um, so once I hit my late teens, that's when my dysphoria that I had from very early started um, getting like really debilitating. Okay. It got to the point where it was like, okay, I can't leave the house. Without feeling... Without feeling, you know, overwhelmed specifically because of things relating to gender. Okay. You know, like scared of being seen, like wasn't comfortable with my body. You know, there's a body component to it that people don't really speak to a lot. Like it does have some overlap with like a lot of other body issues, you know, but it is also distinctly different. Um, and now take, take me down that path. Like in what way is it distinctly different? Well, I've had us down the path. Yeah. Sorry. Let's do it. Well, I've had, um, you know, different body issues throughout my life. Like, especially since working on camera, it gave me, once I started seeing myself on camera, I was like, okay, let me get things together, lose weight, you know, make this bigger, make this smaller, get this work done. Cause you're feeling, you're feeling like the masculine side of you and you're wanting to feel more feminine. A little bit, you? but then it's also the beautification I think is different. So like when I get Botox and stuff, that's not, you know, a trans thing to me. That's more no. of like a beauty thing. Right. So be, the fact that I can differentiate the both of them makes me know that they are kind of different. Like back when I had like, I would say my dysphoria is in the high 90% of cured. Like okay. I don't really ever feel it anymore. Um, but like body issues just don't go away. Like feeling like you yeah. want your skin to look better, your hair, you want to lose weight. Oh my God, I look bad in that angle or whatever. The vanity stuff. That's consistent, I think, no matter 
male or female. I think everybody yeah. has body issues. Even when I was sitting at like 280 pounds as a guy, I'm like, I'm not big enough. I'm fat, you know, <laughs> or I have this or that. And it's such a thing. But then the way I know it's different is that like when I got my surgeries to correct, you know, or not correct, but, you know, change things that I felt were more masculine about me on my face, whatever, you know, the dysphoria like went away and never came back. So for me, it's like, okay, so the body issues seem to just always be there because they're just normal. Right. But the trans stuff, like you can work on it, you know, so. When you say this, the trans stuff, do you mean like part of the, the medical transition or do yeah. you mean, yeah, okay. Like the dysphoria over maybe having a flat chest. It's like, right. well, you can get rid of that in an instant, really. Yeah, we have surgeries for that now. That's mm -hmm. that's the way it is. It's, it's so interesting that you... Um, you know, I, I look at you and I think everybody does. It's like, you know, we see a woman completely and I can totally understand why there's no dysphoria. Like I look at me, I'm still on my journey and like I got a monitor here and I'm like looking at it and I'm like, God, I hate my arms. You know, as oh, you're talking no. about dysphoria, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Well, I or get I'll, that. I get that. It's hard to talk about too sometimes. It what well, it is. Uh, but as, as we go through our journey, there's just a process of learning to love who we are. I think more than, you know, what we are, we, we accept what we are along the way. And then the rest of it becomes just self-love. Oh, point. for sure. Also, one of the things about, um, I think trans people that we don't talk about enough in our community is that when you transition, like physically, when you change certain things like you and I have, I think the bot, uh, the mind almost lags and catching up with how that truly looks in the mirror. Oh God. You know, cause you're used to seeing yourself with certain features in a certain way, mm -hmm. um, your entire life. And so the mirror will kind of show that for longer than you actually have it. So, yeah. you know, I don't want you to be hard on yourself. Like, Oh, I have so much more to go or whatever. Cause I pull you up on my phone as an example of one of the most amazing transitions I've ever seen. Okay. I love you. Thanks. But, but for real, I, I think I, I did like maybe that. four or five days ago. I was like, look at this bitch. Oh my God. Thank you. Blair. Yeah. Oh, wow. So okay, I'll take I that. think that maybe, you know, that sort of thing that you expressed that like, you know, you want to keep going or do different things. I'm not saying don't do it, but also give yourself grace and like, realize that you've done a lot and your brain hasn't even like caught up to actually seeing it yet. You know, I That's feel like I, I see myself differently all the time and I'm like, Oh, it's cause my brain has more adjusted to seeing me with these features. I had a big nose my whole life. It's small, but like for the first few years, it didn't look small enough for me. And now I'm like, I have barely have any nose left. Your nose is so cute. Oh my God. It's <laughs> but, this little tiny upturned button nose. It's so sweet. But I it's love it. small. And like, it's Compared crazy to the big nose that you used to have. Yeah. And it's crazy how even after I got it, my brain was like, it could go smaller, but now I'm seeing it more objectively. So I'm like, it couldn't go smaller. So that's <laughs> where I'm at. I'm looking at all my features like, oh, I could change this or I could change that or this, you know, I don't like the way my nose, I hate the way my nose is shaped. I thought it came out so bad. So I'm going on for number three pretty soon. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, also I can't breathe out of the side still. <laughs> I've got all this collapsed cartilage from WWE. I was in Turkey and I had my nose broken. Oh my God. And it, it like... Even though it looks okay on the outside, the, the cartilage is totally collapsed. So I am like, I'm, I'm a mouth breather. I'm like, which can't in certain like, situations is terrible. Can't you like <laughs> die from getting hit in the nose a certain way? I'm, or is I, that a myth? I mean, I, I don't know. I think if you hit somebody here and it shoved it up and wasn't that like a uh, Van Damme, like Rob Van Damme movie or something? He did that and killed somebody. Oh my God. That's <laughs> not so in real life, but in the movie. And it became oh, this big myth. I, I think it can be done, but nothing, nothing that we would worry about in like wrestling. Um, so we were talking about the, the dysphoria and how, um, yeah. 
you know, giving ourselves grace because when, when I look in the mirror, I'm just starting to get caught up, you know, just finally starting to get caught up. But you mentioned something about, um, what we see when we look in the mirror. Did you go through a phase where in the beginning, when you started your transition, you look in the mirror and you saw something different than what was really there. As in, you felt a little more on the feminine side than what was actually there. Oh yeah. There's also, that's why it's such a, you know, mind F. Because it's like, you can be totally delulu about certain features and be like, oh no, that's perfectly fine. I don't got to touch that. Like I'm golden there. And then be hard on yourself about things that you really don't need to. So for sure, you know, it's always, you know, considering I've struggled with like eating disorders and, and, you know, body issues in general, that's how I know this stuff is just such a long process Yeah, and I'm still figuring out at 30. Um, but I'm sure I will be at 40 and 50 and 60. And it's also about learning to not worry too much about that because we're in the shell for a limited amount of time and who knows what's next, but we're not going with all this. So. No, we're not. Yeah. I'm not even going with all this into 40 or 50 or 60, you know? No. As you can see, it fades quickly. <laughs> and I'm playing catch up too. I I was 42 years of no sunscreen, no lotion, just like neglecting my skin. And now I'm playing catch up. And I can tell you like when it goes, it's hard to get back. And it, it's focused so much more on understanding, like I said earlier, who you are on the inside because it's going to fade. Oh, yeah. I hope it lasts a little bit longer, you know? (laughs) That's so important, though, about what you just said about, like, the inside. Because I feel like there's not enough talk in the trans community about, like, after transition, you know? And, like, how the body stuff is, like, that's not even step one. That's, like, that's, like, getting up to do the step one. Yeah. And life is the other part of it. And, you know, I feel like now that I've gotten the vast majority of, you know, things I want to do as far as transition over with, like, I actually don't think I have anything else that I want to do as far as that. Um, now I'm like thinking about other things. So I'm actually, you know, understanding my brain better, trying to figure out like how my brain works, how my spirit is, you know, that's all the stuff that is actually even more rewarding. So there was, there was a time and I'm, you know, I'm still going through the whole transition thing. I'm, I'm not quite as far along as you are, but there was a time when it was so transition focused mm-hmm. that there's nothing else I could think of. And, yeah. you know, hormones take over. And I, you know, you said, you said the word Dalilu earlier. I'm like, that's, that's the perfect description of what I think so many trans women go through mm-hmm. when the hormones get into our systems. It's like you go through the second puberty, obviously, which I mean, physiologically we do, but there's processing the emotions that go with it. We're, we're adults literally with high levels of hormones. Um, and I, I think there was a point when I was just literally delusional about the way I looked and the way I acted and I didn't realize it, you know, it's just trying to come into yourself looking in the mirror and, you know, wearing certain clothes. Yeah. I went through this, this teenage phase there was like pink eyeshadow and blue eyeshadow and short skirts and crop tops and shit. And I'm like, I'm 42, 43. And I woke up one day, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, like <laughs> what this, this can't keep happening, you know? <laughs> well, that's the, you know, the process. Cause you also, if you're starting to kind of find your aesthetic and your like overall vibe with fashion and all these things that you're suddenly inundated with, that takes everyone, trans or not so much time if they ever figure it out. You know, so it makes sense that you would maybe go through phases, you know, fashion wise that 
you look back now and you're like, what was I doing? I mean, I'm kind of like that too. Like I've changed how I dress like a lot over the years. Like when I first got my boobs, like you couldn't tell me to not show cleavage. Every outfit I had was cleavage. Yeah. And now as I'm getting older, it's like, that's just not my personal aesthetic so much anymore. You know, I like to be a little more. One of the things I kind of noticed was as the fashion trend changed from my teenage years into like my proverbial 20s and 30s. And now I think I'm caught up to my 40s for the most part. Uh, there was less and less cleavage shown. And if I would go out in public in, you know, one of my teenage or 20 year old outfits, there was a whole lot of attention Mm -hmm. that wasn't good attention. You know, it was the like, Oh, that's a dude dressed in women's clothing, you know? And it was like, it was all, you know, you get, you get all that shit. And then the more, that's horrible. Yeah. The, well, I mean, I was asking for it. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to way, but it's still mean. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't want to say anybody asks for anything, but when we think about how society works and we inject ourselves into these situations, what do, you know, what do you think is going to happen? It's, yeah. you know, especially somebody that was in my position, but even like you, when you walk out there and we, we learn, we go, oh, okay, this is why women tend to cover up if they didn't want that attention. It was like this whole phase yeah. where I'm all, oh, the light bulb went off and the And more- you learn that organically and just much later in life than, you know, women typically do. Y- yeah. And so I, I feel like when the public looks at women transitioning or trans women transitioning, they're seeing these phases yeah. where, the, where they're going through, you know, stuff that you and I experience, but it's also sensationalized that we're seeing these, these interesting phases and they're all caught in that phase. Cause I don't, I don't yeah. think a lot of trans women have the, um, the ability to medically transition the way that you and I did. I mean, you, you and I both know like facial surgery, you get what you pay for. Like, you know, a lot of women go through insurance and I'm mm. like, that's a quick buck for that surgeon. And it's a freaking yeah, it's I paid out of pocket. Form. I was I was like, I'm not saying I'm gonna work for it, get the money and then go and get the best doctor. Yeah, same. You know. Yeah, I did the same games. thing. Who did you use for your surgeon? I'm so curious. Um, I used Dr. Peter Raphael out of Plano, Texas. Oh, that's my surgeon. Really? Yeah. We have the same surgeon. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. <laughs> that's such a demented thing to have in common. He did your face, he did your face. I know. It's it. like, who did your face? Oh, that's it's so sick and twisted. but In its own uh, way. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so he's just peeled both of our faces up. Okay. That's such a weird thought. Wow. Um, love he's that. He's got some daddy vibes, huh? No. You think? Just me? It's just me? <laughs> um, perhaps to some like, people. Not even close. <laughs> Like, that's in the eye of the, you know. That's the eye of the 45-year-old. But that, he does know what he's doing, and he's he's great, you know. And he wasn't even necessarily the most expensive, but I think a no. lot of people think that the more expensive, the better. Mm-hmm. And I got consultations from doctors that were much more expensive, and what they planned to do on me and their body of work was not like his. This guy, like, knew what he was doing because that was, like, his specialty. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, Peter's done so many trans women, and I, we call him the doll maker. So that's like our little nickname it's for him. It's so funny. Yeah, he just he just makes dolls. Um, he knows how to do it. He does. He does. I remember you talking about uh, one of your podcasts. Speaking of surgeries, you were I, I don't remember. Maybe it was your podcast, but you were talking about the uh, getting bottom surgery or not getting bottom surgery, and when I started my transition, I was so gung ho. I'm like, yep, I need that. But it's like the last thing I wanted to do because I wanted to socially integrate first. Mm-hmm. I, I needed the experience. Yeah. 
But you mentioned, you know, I, I did a lot of research on, on your stuff before you came over just so I get caught up. And I, I was watching that episode and you raised a lot of good points about it, which is one of the same reasons that I haven't gone forward yet. All the inconsistencies in it and, and just knowing like the consistent dedication it takes to just like dilate every single freaking day. Um, it's something that's not really talked about, you know, and all yeah. the issues that come up with it. You you did a podcast with, um, was it Shapeshifter? Was that her name? Mm-hmm. His name, sorry. Yeah, Detransitioner. Yeah, and that really, um, that one got me. You me, know, me it, too. It really got me to hear that story yeah. and to hear the struggles because they, they mentioned um, he closed up on the way home. Is it? Does he go by he? Is it, I they? think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, uh, they do. They do transition. Yeah. But their their neo vagina was closing on the way home from surgery, losing like inches on the way home, and never able to get any depth. It was so horrible. I've always made a really intentional effort to put detrans people on my channel because I feel like there's a really big well actually I don't feel like it I know for a fact that a really big issue the trans community faces is that there's no nuance in the way transition you know whether it's you know medical transition or whatever is spoken of there seems to be this narrative that everyone latches onto that isn't always aligned with reality and what I started noticing you know at this point in my life a decade of my transition, I've met hundreds of trans women. I've met all different types of trans women, trans people. And what I've noticed is that not only is there inconsistency with information about sex changes, we're talking genital surgeries online, there's inconsistencies with everyone I've ever met that has it. You know, they all kind of have these issues, but then they're all so convinced that that's like so rare. And I'm like, how rare could it be when I've never met any of you that have not had issues? So I think that um, there is a narrative that the community is holding on to that like we're there in the science with sex changes. Right. And I, one of the things about me is like, if something is like not, you know, true, like just get rid of it. Like stop, stop holding on to it, you know, mm-hmm. where, but a lot of people I think hold on to these things because in their own way, they feel it gives validation. Like, no, we have to make believe right now that sex changes are fully amazing and you can have a perfect vagina and everyone's, you know, the fairy tale ending story. Yeah, no. Rather than admit, like, you know, maybe it'd be better to continue improving that surgery before we recommend it. And so that's where I'm at. I'm I'm looking at all the surgeries and I was looking at the, uh, like, the perennial pull-through method and I was going to use Dr. Langone. Langone? No, Blue Bond. Blue Bond at NYU, my consult isn't even until like 2025. Thank God. Because it's given me time to just kind of think about everything. And part of the reason why I'm not in a hurry, I'm like, well, maybe things will get better in two years. Maybe they'll have a different surgery or maybe they'll be, you know, something farther along because the whole thing, just the more I research it, the more I find it's just riddled with weird complications. It's scary. And, you know, one of the things that I am very in tune with is like my health and my body. Um, I think that there's not, that's actually why I love so much of your content because it's rare to see, um, you know, prominent, you know, members of the community really talking about other things like supplements and about, you know, body composition and like fats and proteins and what supplements are good, what certain chemicals do in your body. Like that's all stuff I am so fascinated by and I've always been on top of that. And so 
I think that sometimes we forget about health when it comes to the community because it is that really transition focused. It's so transition focused that we forget that we can be other things aside from mm-hmm. trans. Which- oh, 100%. And with the sex changes, you know, my sort of like passion for health in other areas is really what informs me that that surgery is bad. Like I don't actually need to know all the stats on it. It's like you can't just put a, an open wound in your body, which is objectively what it is, forced to keep it open for the rest of your life and expect there to not be problems, especially mm-hmm. such a delicate area. It's not like a piercing you can keep open. It's right. It's nerve endings. It's, you know, sex. It's urination. It's mm-hmm. it's all these things. Yeah. Having kids. Yeah. It's, it's all of those things put together and it, it just... It makes me, and it, this isn't to discount anybody that's had the surgery by any means. I'm yeah. not saying that. It's just one of those things where, you know, Blair and I coming, from, I think from a more, not from a more, but just from a, a health perspective with our own personal journey. Everybody's journey is different. You know, we, everybody does it for different reasons and has different ideas. So not to discount that, but for me personally, I very much align with what you're saying because it's like, yeah, I don't want to live with the worry about infections or closing up all my life. I, I had this, I had this thought, I'm like, what happens when I'm 80 years old and I don't want to dilate every day? Because already as it is, like, it's, it's going to sound so weird because I know you're in a relationship, but like, I don't really have sex. Like, I just, I don't have time for it. Like, the whole dating thing at freaking 45 years old. Oh, nightmare. What a I shit couldn't, show. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine. Girl, what a shit show. And like, <laughs> I've been on Bumble. I've been on Tinder. I've been on Grindr. Like, I just give up. I don't. I don't. I've heard that the city in particular is really hard to date into. I I guess everyone's poly. Uh, It's that's what I hear. So what I get is like the what is ethically non-monogamous? Is that that what they call it? Where it's like I have a partner, but they let me do whatever I want. Translated, I'm a cheater. Yeah, or it's like I just want to be with a trans girl, and it's (laughs) like I don't want to be anybody's fetish ever. I've been that. I'm sure at some point you you went through that as well, or it's like you just kind of feel like did you did you get on the dating scene? Before your current yeah, relationship? I've always had, um, so I've had long-term monogamous relationships only. Okay. Um, and I've never been like a promiscuous person. I've never been into sex, like even before a transition, no. Um, not that I don't do it, but it's, like, I'm not, <laughs> it's not like even in my top like 10 of things that I yeah. want to do. So I, yeah, I'm the same way. I don't really think about it. Yeah, it's like what? It's very, and this, this is probably TMI, but like, I don't even, my solo sessions are like so far apart. I think it's like every two weeks I'm like, I need to go to sleep. Let me just, uh, let me just take care of this real quick. Sex is kind of weird. Like maybe that's like the damage in me or whatever, but. <coughs> oh, there's a shelf there. Just sit on a shelf. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm just like, sex is just like weird. I think too much about it. I'm like, I don't like that it's naked and there's dirty stuff and. It it's too clean. clean. I don't know. You're too clean. <laughs> I I don't know. I lost um, I lost a lot of my sex drive when I was wrestling. I just I think the damage to my body really? took a lot, and I was always tired. Oh wow. Priscilla and I had a great sex life. It was awesome. Um, but she she was asking for it a lot more than I was giving it, mm-hmm. just because I was always tired or on the road or something like that, and I mean, my that body was sense. not. My body was hurting. But even when I started transition, I felt like I really think the hormones just kind of like either took it out of me or just was yeah. never a part of me. But it's the last thing I literally think of. And so to, I, but I do miss the, um, I miss the, the energy of having somebody in my life 
and I know, like I said, you're, I know you're in a long-term relationship right now with somebody who appreciates you for who you are, which is wonderful. I've met him. He's, he's incredible. Uh, but how does that, you know, how do you feel about other people in the dating scene? You know, other trans women, like what we go through, have you, have you come across stories where like, we're just, you know, we got to deal with the chasers. Like what is your take oh, on yeah. the whole dating scene? I mean, it's so odd because I feel like it has changed a lot over the years as well, just as like, you know, the concept of trans is interacted with by the public more and more each year and in different ways. You know, sometimes we're more hated, sometimes we're more loved, people are just learning about it. So that leads to like, I don't know if I could speak on dating really now, but you know, the fetish thing, it, it is a really interesting, um, and by interesting, I mean slightly dark experience <laughs> living as like a fetishized person. Yeah. Uh, one of my best friends in the world is actually a little person. Okay. Um, we look fun walking down the street together. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, that's something that that community also deals with is like people fetishizing them. And I never really knew that until speaking to him and he's like, oh no, it's an entire like messed up world. And you know, oh, wow. you think with little people, like there's likely also a lot of dark reasons why some certain people fetishize smaller people, you right, know? Right. So they deal with a lot of weird stuff and we bonded over that. Um, and it made me aware of a lot of things like it, people I think are men, sorry, not people, men can sometimes have a hard time seeing you as a full human being when you are something that his forefront of his mind is perceiving as a sexual thing. Yeah. It's like a human comes secondary, right. you know? So I've experienced men around me like that for sure. Um, it's like very objectified. And yeah. I, you know, my theory, of course I'm full of theories. <laughs> I'm always full of theories. I love a theory. <laughs> I think majority of men, a higher percentage than not have thought about it. Because uh, I think every guy thinks about at some point, you know, what it's like to swing the other way, whether they it pops in their head for a moment or not. Of course. But then, uh, you know, trans women are like the gateway to just like test driving is what I found out with my dating experiences. Oh, my gosh. The, we're literally a gateway drug for them. It's like, oh, I can get my fix and I'm not gay. You know, like I, I, I've been through that so many times where they like guys, it was their first oh, time. Wow. I'm like, are you serious? I'm all, okay. So you're just trying to figure out if you're gay or not. Are you like. You like the D. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, girl. <laughs> but when when you look at, uh, I think Pornhub put out their their review at the end of, was, God, it was last year or the year before. I Like, Transborn was number seven. In, yeah. Downloaded in, in the States, mm -hmm. I think. Or was it the world? It was, it was some massive number like that. It's very popular. And when you think about the millions of downloads and people that watch that, it's not like it's a small percentage. I mean, number no. seven, it's not like it's, oh, it's number 192 on the list. On it's the list of seven. things people are into, it's actually the more, the older I'm getting, I'm learning that list is forever expanding. Like if it exists, I feel like there's a fetish for it. It's like, there's a fetish for like this piece of plastic <laughs> or whatever this is made of. I guarantee you They're for that good. type of wall art, like there's fetishes for everything. So for trans to make number seven, pretty high yeah um <laughs> when i was uh when i was on bunny's podcast she was telling me a, a story about uh, a guy that had to finish in the closet you know obviously not a trans fetish but he's just like we had to go to the closet I'm yeah like, what? everyone has weird <laughs> specific things like that yeah like he couldn't unless I mean, he was I don't. in the closet with her i'm all this is the best thing i've ever heard it's <laughs> killing me well i think like with 
I agree that there are so many more people than people realize that are like into trans women and trans people in general. The really interesting thing is like I have met people who are into like trans men and um, it's always like gay men. That are into trans men? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And like for me, it makes sense that you said that earlier in transition, you would have guys that were trying to figure out if they're gay. I think mm -hmm. that makes sense because it was early in your transition yeah. or maybe you had more masculine properties. Oh, way more. Whereas God. like for me, like I've actually never been with a guy who wasn't with women before me and then eternally after. Like, and I've dated my, my current partner has only dated trans women in his adult life. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because he knows that's just like, that's why his orientation is. Got it. Um, that's beautiful. Yeah. And it's not even, it's not in a fetish way either. And I think that sometimes people conflate the two. And I think there is a genuine, in my experience, orientation that is separate from like, you know, objectifying in a negative way, trans mm -hmm. women. There are some men who are like, that's just what they like. And yeah. that's not even just on a physical level. They are attracted to the way specifically trans women's minds work. That's been, I've encountered a lot of men like that. Like I get along best with trans women. We're, we're definitely different. I feel like we process emotions differently than yeah. a, like a biological female would, mm -hmm. um, partly because we, we were born males and we have that inherent male mindset. We've experienced it. And then as we transition, we're now experiencing the other side of the mm -hmm. of the fence. But we take into consideration, I feel like, so many more things uh, than not not in a way that makes us better than, you know, biological female. But it's just different. It's different. It's um, really distinct. And also, you know, I always say like this on my channel. I say, I will never know what it is to be a woman in the sense of anything biological, anything that is innate without my transition, you know, anything that comes without that, I'll never, ever know. Mm -hmm. But on certain cultural things, I can understand a lot, you know, from walking yeah. through the world and being perceived that way. So that was one of the things, you know, when you mentioned like the objectification, that's something that I've learned that even aside from that, that's just so a woman thing. Mm -hmm. That's a like women walk through the world and, you know, they learn by a very young age, actually, a disturbingly young age, to be aware of their surroundings, to be tuned into sexual frequencies of men that maybe are, you know, not as obvious, but right. you have to be tapped into understanding if it's there, mm -hmm. assessing threat levels of men. Oh, yeah. um, and My 12-year-old so, daughter's doing that right now. And isn't she, that scary? She picks up on it. She's like, Dad, I don't like the way... He's looking at me. And, and isn't I look that and sad. it's some creepy dude looking her up and down. I'm like, what are you looking at, dude? That's so She's sad. 12. Stop it. That's so sad. Yeah. There's a quote that's like, by the time you're a 13 year old girl, you're already competing for all or uh, for like all men or something. Like all men suddenly become attracted to you. The quote, I butchered the quote. It's actually a semi-funny but true. That's why it's funny. <laughs> quote about how like men are just like gross. You know, like they, oh, I think they're so. gross. Yeah. And um It's because they're so visual. That and like, you know, they're gross. It's, it's, they're just gross. <laughs> yeah, they are gross. And the thing is like, when you come from a trans perspective or, you know, what, I won't even say that. I'll say my perspective where I feel like oftentimes I'm able to understand gender dy dynamics in a way that is not necessarily better than anyone who is a man or a woman who lived that way their whole life, but in a different way. Yeah. And I can sometimes pick up on things that they don't because they've never thought about it. Yeah. You know, juxtaposing female behavior and nature and male because I've had both living in me at certain times. And right. to an extent now I also have it still. Um, 
you know, that I feel like if we just worked on as a community, maybe sometimes speaking a little more honestly about things, we would have so much more like insight to give people because if you stick to a narrative that like, I'm a woman and there's nothing you can say about it. Like that's a lot of trans women's narrative, you know, you're not allowing yourself to tap into all the parts of you, which are that biological maleness that like is not the same as before you transitioned and no one's saying it is, but like, it has been altered in a way that gives you a unique dynamic perspective. Yeah. And we lose out on that uniqueness. You know, I have no desire to be a woman. I'm a trans woman. Yeah. And that's a specific thing. And I'm cool with it. And so that's one of the things that you and I connected on when we first started chatting. Because you recognize you were not born a woman. Yeah. And I recognize I was not born a woman. And, you know, a lot of this came after I had some time to think about everything when my hormones balanced out and a couple of years down the road, we mm-hmm. start thinking about, well, why the hell did this happen? Like, what am I, what does this mean for my life? And you get into these like really deep esoterical thoughts and start, start thinking about like, well, what's the purpose of all this? Like what's the purpose of life? And that's cause you're a deep thinker though, by the way, not everyone does. Like you said it and like, you know, when you're like in deep esoteric thought, it's like a lot of people don't know what that is actually. Yeah. It's so much because of these phones that we have everybody spends their life on it yeah but i see a lot of people from our community get so stuck on the i'm a freaking woman i was born this way i'm like well actually you're not and not not in um you know i know this this that soundbite's gonna get taken and blasted virally across the internet but if (laughs) it's true let it be out because i believe there is so much beauty in understanding exactly what we are, mm-hmm. which is something so specific, so distinct, something unique to offer from the world, a unique presence. It really is. And you dilute the hell out of that when you're like, I'm not going to face reality. So I'm going to sit here and say, I'm a woman. And if you disagree with me, you're the bad person rather than me addressing my own sometimes trauma, sometimes past you know experiences or own insecurities that you need the other person to see you that way. Because when I tell you my transition was about me and no one else, my transition was about me and no one else. I didn't care if one person saw, or every person, sorry, saw me as a man for the rest of my life. Don't care. Don't now that's, care. that says a lot because it took me years to get to that point. Okay. I didn't want to be seen as a man. I wanted to be, I wanted to, well, I wanted to feel female and I wanted to be accepted as female, but it took me a couple of years to get there, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think from your perspective, that says so much about who you are and for it to really be about you and not seeking attention going, no, I, I have to fit in. Like, this is about me. And yeah. what I need. Well, I, I agree. And likewise, by the way, because, you know, you got to that point where you're now seeing it a bit differently, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people, and that's with anything trans or not, we get stuck in sometimes our lower vibration a little bit, our mm-hmm. more, um, we're in our animal body a little more, where we're yeah. thinking with our, you know, nervous system, our anxiety, our, you know, thoughts that aren't as valid. Right. And healing is because that's what that is is healing. That's healing some sort of insecurity that you would need them to, to view a certain way. Um, I actually feel like I had that like I never had that actually from like preschool and on. One of my earliest memories in life is like, oh wow, everyone's like dumb and everyone's not worth me changing myself for. Oh, like wow. yeah, and I saw it in authority figures too. I remember in preschool being like, just because that adult or that person is bigger, older and is the teacher doesn't mean they have my best interest in heart at mind. 
my best interest. They know what's best for me. That they have authority over me. I've never felt anyone had authority over me. So and I feel that's like rare. Yeah, it's rare because so many people will will look at an adult or an authority figure and just instantaneously yeah. take whatever they say at face value. Mm-hmm. You know, we get we get a ton of influencers. I always talk about this on my you know my social media stuff for health and fitness. We get influencers that just throw shit out there and they look great or whatever. They're adults and they claim to be certain things and just spit stuff out that they they've heard and regurgitate it yeah. without really thinking about what they're saying and the effect it has or if it's even freaking true, you know? Yeah. And that's why like, I've never understood necessarily the people who, you know, want me to somehow feel a certain way about, you know, me feeling like I'm not a woman or not a biological woman, whatever. I've never understood that people get, that's one of the things people get angriest at me for is my own self-concept and how I view myself, which makes me feel like, that's how I know it's pinpointing something in you and I'm mirroring something back to you because for you to accept anyone's identity in the LGBT community except a trans woman who's like, I'm still male, mm-hmm. that's something to do with you. That's not me. Yeah. The human's first line of defense is let's get angry and yeah. let's throw it back at you. Yeah. Really like the projection or it's a deflection. Sorry. Yeah. And they, they throw it back at at the other person, especially when it comes to needing to look in the mirror at what's going on. And I I see that so much is just instantaneous defense in our community. When somebody gets upset at something that like you've said, or I've said, or anybody else says, or, you know, from the cisgender community, the straight community, people fly off the freaking handle. And that's such a choice. Like the more, the older I get, you know, it's interesting. I started my channel at 23 and you know, from 23 to 30 is like, wow, like it's such a, oh, it's a huge you know, I've grown up on the internet. So a lot of my like really early content, sometimes I look back, I'm like, I wish I would have almost would have started now because I feel like I would have even more insight. You know, even as much as people look to me as a source of that, I feel like there's just so much more I could say, but and I, I am now, but um, <laughs> so like I'm saying it now. Yeah. And one of the things that I have really come to understand as I got older is that everything you do is under your own control. Everything is such a choice. If I chose to live in a space of flying off the handle when I hear something I don't like or how someone else views something, that is only about me. That has nothing to do with that other person, even if they were antagonizing you. Mm -hmm. Because you can control yourself. And if you can't, you have to learn how. And, you know, I'm still learning that. Like, it's not that I have like a even tempo all the time, but I know that when I have a disproportionate reaction to something, that's on me. Oh yeah, completely. Yeah. I'm the same way. I always believe that emotions, that was really loud. Um, I believe that emotions are a choice and mm-hmm. it's learned behavior. I always say we don't, we don't come out of the womb feeling angry. We don't come out of the womb feeling malice or rage or jealousy. Yeah. That, that's learned behavior that we pick up as we're growing up mm-hmm. and we take that with us. And there's a certain point in life where we either recognize that and, and go, Oh my God, I'm, I'm in a cycle. I'm repeating this pattern. I'm getting mad as soon as somebody says this or we never recognize it. And some people just get stuck and they don't recognize what's happening in front of them. So they choose to be angry or they choose to be depressed. And I know the internet's probably going to eat that up too when I say you choose to be depressed. Yeah. I mean, that, that it can lead to physiological symptoms, obviously, in a downward spiral. But our emotions are, are choices. They, they truly are. And that's, that's one of the biggest things that I try to put out there. And I see people taking your viewpoint and they just fly off the freaking handle mm-hmm. without ever taking a moment and just looking at it and going, oh, well, maybe there is some truth that maybe there isn't. Do I need to be a freaking snowflake about everything? Right. Especially about stuff that is actually in my best interest, you know, 
speaking as the person who would fly off the handle, I've never understood their choice to like fly off the handle because I'm like, if I'm telling you there's problems with this exchange surgery you're considering, why would you have like an emotional FU reaction rather than a, oh, you know what? At worst, I'm learning information that maybe isn't true when I look into it myself, but you know, at least I'm thinking about it, right? But I would definitely want to know if like I was going to get something done that had negative implications. And if I were to take that as a personal attack, I mean, that's so something just within them. And I only know that I can recognize that in them because I recognize it in myself for other things like, you know, maybe relationship things or how I've interacted with friends or different relationships in the past. Like I can recognize at least in the long term, looking back at certain things when a reaction I had was disproportionate. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good with, with people that, uh, that will fly off the handle at things like the surgery. Mm-hmm. It makes me, makes me look at what their identity is yeah. and their identity is finalizing whatever transition they're doing. I mean, if we're talking about trans women, the thought of not being able to finalize that they're so bought into the need to mm-hmm. finalize it rather than you know, sit it out, wait, maybe there are some complications that it's, it's convoluted the thinking process when, yeah. when fear and anxiety enter our minds it shuts down the prefrontal cortex of the brain. Mm-hmm. And so that's like the problem solving and critical thinking area of the brain. So they get upset. It challenges their identity. Suddenly we're not thinking rationally. And instead we're flying off a handle at everybody and putting up that defense so that we can continue down that path. You're literally giving yourself a temporary lobotomy when you let that anxiety Girl, yes. take over because that's what they did lobotomies. They messed up the prefrontal cortex. They got a little knife in there and they switched it around like butter. Mm-hmm. And then the person, they lost their humanity in a way. So that shows you that letting anxiety or, you know, anger or whatever, that shows you literally lower your human state by even doing that. You're closer to a lobotomized person than you were before you got angry or upset. The whole movie, it was uh, Sucker Punch. Did you ever see that movie? No. It was was a very... um, you know, it wasn't a it wasn't an A movie by any means. It was like a B minus movie, <laughs> but it was all about lobotomies. And uh, there was this beautiful blonde in it, and a lot of a lot of music and stuff. But it was all about her uh, getting put into a, like an insane asylum and them trying to do a lobotomy on her, and she didn't want to lose her humanity. Yeah, and that's what it was all about. Yeah, yeah, so interesting. And that's why you have that fight or flight, right? Because you get into this animal state of like literally running away, which. Mm-hmm. Or fighting, which, you know, fighting would be saying F you because I heard something about a sex change surgery I don't like. And then right. flight would be like, I don't know, you know, not wanting to hear the information. So you just leave it alone. Yep. You're closer to an animal state when you allow that to take over. And we all do it. But So speaking of uh, looking at our, our, our own identities, I am curious how you feel about this. I know we touched on it slightly at the video shoot. But there was a time, and I'm still in this this phase where I go, huh, I'm 43. Oh, well, I was 43 when I started thinking about it. I'm 45 now, and I'm, I'm starting to go, we, we talked about me like suppressing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was possibly suppressed, maybe it wasn't. But why did this really happen? Why did I choose okay. to transition? And I don't have an answer for myself. I really right. don't. I've looked back, and I'm, I'm just like, I don't know. And one day it was do or die. If I couldn't live my life as a woman, I wanted to just literally take a gun and shoot myself in the head. And I never, my, my brother committed suicide when he was 30. And so I know oh what it gosh. does to like the family. It was horrible. It, I mean, it was so 11, it was 2012. So it was, it was a long time ago. Thank you. But, um, 
I'm like, no, I'll never do that. And here I am going through the same motions in my head that my brother was going through. But I, I, I still to this day, I can't comprehend why. And so many people will use the term or the phrases, you know, you failed as a man or you couldn't cut it as a male. So you transitioned. And I look at it and I go, did I fail? And I ask myself, well, my marriage was failing, but was that the reason? I don't know. And so when you look at your transition, do you feel like you failed as a male or you feel there was failure? Or do you, have you ever sat back and thought about the potential reasons behind it for your own? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, this topic, this could be like a six hour thing for me. Because <laughs> I, you know... I'm a very, very introspective person. Any like emotion feeling that I have, like almost sometimes I annoy myself with how I will try to unpack it to the smallest common denominators to figure out why did I get angry? Why did I get sad? And those are like simple emotions. So imagine like being trans, that's a big thing. So I've thought about it a lot. And uh, I'm sort of in a similar space that I feel like I don't know the definite answer. Okay. However, you know, I've come to a lot of conclusions that are probably less than politically correct or less than what people want to hear. I believe for me personally, and again, this is me. Everyone can feel how they want about whatever they experience. I believe that part of why I'm trans, perhaps not all, but part is that it's a trauma response. I believe that, you know, my childhood was horrific my first 18 years of my life horrific in so many more ways than I've even opened up with and I'm very open with my audience so if there's things I'm withholding trust me there's trauma uh we all have trauma yeah yeah but I think when you're on the higher end of it you can have a more extreme reaction to it sure and uh I think that it's not necessarily normal to run away from your hometown, change your name, change your entire body, your entire appearance, how you look, your legal paperwork, you know, and start a new life. That's not normal at best. And normal is not a good or bad word. It's a neutral word. Right. Um, so I think that maybe that was somewhat my body's, you know, way of escaping Starting that fresh. traumatic life and the things that people were doing to me and the things that were happening around me. And uh, when I say that, I think that sometimes people don't want to talk about trauma or that like being like hurt in your childhood could make you trans because they don't want people to associate that that would be the case for all trans people. And they also don't want people to think that trans is somehow less valid because of that. In my opinion, it's for just me, more of a valid thing that I'm trans. I'm like, my body did this beautiful thing that created this very elaborate response for me to survive because that's what a trauma response is. Yeah. It's, you know, what your brain does in an effort to survive. So mm -hmm. if my brain, you know, decided, you know what, we're just going to make you feel female. And that's how I got out of the trauma. It worked. I'm, I'm never going to, you know, view it as less valid or whatever. In fact, I had this um, conversation with my fiance because I, when I was having these thoughts, I was, I was saying them out loud. And he's like, that was his question. So do you think that that means that you're like not really trans or that maybe like you would not be trans in the future then? I'm like, no, why would I ever betray the thing that my body did to allow me to survive? Right. Um, what a good question he asked. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I think that's why people don't want to talk about it. It's the, And it's also age old tropes of like, if you're gay, it's because someone touched you or something bad happened to right. you. Which... <laughs> 
you know, I don't think is the case. I don't think is the case for everyone. But I think this also like absolutist thing people do where, you know, there can be no conversations about how that can maybe sometimes happen. Those are harmful. Like, why are you excluding, even if it's a small percentage of people who maybe did develop, you know, being trans or whatever mm-hmm. due to a trauma? Uh, yeah, I think it's more than than the majority of the population recognizes. Because, uh, like I said, even me looking at my own past, I'm all, I think, yeah, I think a lot of stuff happened and probably would a lot to do with my marriage. Like, I don't blame Priscilla, obviously. Yeah. Um, and for everybody listening and watching, it's, you know, they, they will most likely side with her but knowing that her and I are we have this beautiful relationship now we got over it together um I I am starting to really think that it had a lot to do with like me not feeling as though I could be enough uh, in in the marriage actually it's funny I've never talked about this before so there was this thing where I just felt like I wasn't enough I had to work harder and no matter what I did I couldn't provide enough. I couldn't be enough. It was never enough for mm. my life and my family. And I think a lot of guys go through that where they don't feel appreciated. Yeah. And not that Priscilla didn't make me feel appreciated. Every marriage dynamic has, you know, its own nuances. And again, we choose our emotions. So whatever it was happening, I think I was choosing to feel a certain way. But I can see how that can stack up. And finally, you know, we're just like, you know what? Fuck it. I can't do this anymore. And rather than shooting myself in the head... My body goes. Let's do this instead. This is this is the thing. And I and again, I don't know if that's it, but looking at that and looking at how defensive people get and their inability to look at possibilities, like trauma, like early childhood trauma or other things, really leads me to believe that there's so much more that nobody's talking about. Yeah. Where you're, you know, and you're you're so open about that, which I love. You talk. You talk a lot about it. Well, I think that there's a lot of stigma also for people who go through certain traumas. And part of the trauma and the reason why it's so bad is that your brain places the blame on you to solve it. So if you're hurt as a child, and I'm not making any proclamations about what has or hasn't happened to me. I am not going to be specific here. But, you know, a child, for example, any child, if they are like, hurt by an adult, your brain doesn't know how to process that because they have that, like I said earlier, thing I never really had, belief that adults are there to protect you. Right, right. So your brain is like, we can't protect ourselves. The adult isn't. So we're going to shut this down. And then you go through, you have to learn how that affected your neurology going forward. And sometimes it's literal, like physical brain injuries from it. Yeah, we we compartmentalize a lot Mm -hmm. and it gets buried back in the back of our minds. Yeah, and it gets stored in your body. One of my biggest healing journeys was, I'm not trying to sound superficial here, I mean, and if it sounds superficial, then that people just need to learn more about it. They Botox, can go fuck themselves. <laughs> Botox has been part of my healing because it's I got it in body parts that were holding on to lifelong anxiety, stress, trauma, because your brain actually stores it in your body. Traps? Where'd you get it? I got my traps. Yeah, I got so. my hips. I got you got my, Botox in your hips in into the muscle because my entire body. I realized. This is going to sound dark, but whatever, uh, you know, was storing a lot of trauma, a lot of anxiety because your brain can't handle it. So it literally goes somewhere else. Oh, I totally subscribe to that. Yeah. So I didn't realize I had like built up, like messed up muscle all throughout my body. And, and so Botox was was a healing. Yeah. Because it paralyzes the muscle and then it decays. So you're literally decaying the like trauma. Right. Um, I never thought about getting it in my house because one of the things that I have, I've got like big obliques still from all the mm-hmm. bodybuilding. I'm like, huh, maybe I need to do that. 
Well, that's where the body, um, its traps, its hips, its neck, mm-hmm. and its jaw, and a few other places. But those are the main places you store anxiety and stress. And over a lifetime, there's a lot of it. We tend to like grit our teeth. Mm-hmm. A lot. I got that too. I got mm-hmm. Botox here, and it yeah. has helped me a lot. I've had it in my traps, in my arms, my shoulders, my neck. I haven't done it in a while. It was actually post vocal surgery. I stopped doing it because they didn't want me to. They were mm. they were worried it was going to collapse my my airway. I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> when they said <laughs> I that, I'm all, that. oh, I'll just wait. That's fine. Oh, yeah. you, you want me to wait six months? No problem. I'll wait a year. No, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> but can I go back to like, I don't want us Please. to get divert, like what you talked about, um, like kind of your own progressive unpacking of why you're trans. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that you're doing that. And also like, don't maybe beat up on yourself. I'm not saying you do this, but just if you ever find yourself doing it, don't do it. Don't beat up on yourself to figure it all out in an instant or, you know, quickly because the, you know, your brain takes a lot of time to understand these like really big things, you know? So I'm still figuring out exactly why I'm trans. And, you know, if it's a combination of things, you know, there are chemicals in the water. Everyone jokes about that, but it's true. That's and there, yeah. And there, there's hormones in food that have never been put in food. Our mothers are ingesting them, and then we're in their womb getting it. Maybe my mom did it partly, and then maybe life and the trauma doubled onto it. And mm-hmm. one plus one equals trans. Yeah, we have we have more pesticides. We have more hormones in meat uh than we've ever had mm-hmm. and i know some people are gonna be like oh you freaking conspiracy theorist it's but coming real. from like a, I don't I, i'm not an md and it's just so important that i say i'm not a medical doctor but Same. i've spent 18 years of my life the past 18 years researching published medical data on a daily basis when it comes to health and fitness and so i've got a very good grasp on you know a lot of the studies and there are studies out there and there's so much information where a lot of these pesticides, they got estrogen in them. Like uh, mm-hmm. Finiplex is something that uh, the the farmers feed their cows. You know, it's it's one of these things that uh, Trimbalone is made from. It's an anabolic steroid that all the bodybuilders use. But it's very estrogenic in nature. It's what's called a 19 norandrosta. It's super estrogenic. It's one of the most powerful anabolics we have, but it's estrogen-like in nature. And... You know, it's it's in our fast food, and I used to eat a ton of fast food when I was a kid. You know, my uh, God bless my mom's heart, but <laughs> we would go to like McDonald's because she worked right next to McDonald's at a little real estate place, and she'd pick up my brother and I after school and be like, "Oh, what do you guys want?" And so it was just every day it was like burger and fries and coke. That was my I'm surprised I don't have diabetes. I'm 400 pounds. You know, yeah. I, I don't know how I did it, but Same. I was ingesting all these like hormones and chemicals as a kid that I didn't know about, and I actually ended up with gynecomastia. At 12, 13 years old. Yeah, I had breast buds at 12 or 13 years old. And the doctors, had ne- they'd never seen it before. They didn't know what the hell it was. They're like, eh, it's just something with puberty. We don't know. And my whole, it, like, it stayed. I always had a little bit of breast tissue underneath my nipples. Yeah. and so, That's fascinating. And there's no way that's not connected. Sorry. That's part of it. I'm part like, of your overall journey, there's the reason that happened to you. It has to be because I had more estrogen in my body. Mm. Produ- like whatever the testosterone, whatever was going, it was aromatizing into estrogen at a, at a teenager, at a 12, 13 year old. While your brain's developing. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And was that the cause of it? Who fucking knows? Could have been a factor. Maybe, but exactly. People it, don't even want to look at factors. People want to, you know, talk about it as if it's this like divine thing like oh i was just born that way and they think the conversation should just end there and it's like aren't people invested in understanding themselves like for me that's like the best part about life is figuring out 
everything that is. Yeah. You know, that's like the best part of my life is figuring out, not in a selfish way, but in a fascinated way, because it helps me understand other people. When I understand yes. my brain, my body, mm-hmm. I understand other people. And it's also increased my empathy to other people acting out of trauma. You know, there's a oh, lower part, that. there's a lower version of myself that could have so been one of these YouTubers who comes up and the topic of like hater comments comes up and I'm like, oh yeah, they're just like, fuck them. Or I could be like, have more, you know, higher view of it, the more accurate, which is like, wow, like they're literally acting out of their own trauma. And it sucks to see how many people have that and go unhealed because they don't believe they have it because everyone only looks at that really like Mm -hmm. superficial reason for things. The the hate comments have taught me so much. And I used to go look at them. You, You know, we get a lot, we get a lot of good stuff. And we get a lot of negative stuff. And it's the, the negative is less than the good for me for the most part. Mm-hmm. But I would kind of hunt for the negatives subconsciously. Yeah. And I would go, I would go hunt them down. I go look at their page and see what they're all about. And I'd find something and then I'd go slam. I'm like, well, you look like you were fucking born with two teeth and you're from right. you know, the bat the from the boondocks. I'm okay, like, you're saying this shit about me. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and then I I, you know, you because you just mentioned this, I took this different standpoint where I just didn't give it any energy at all. And not too long, about six months ago, I started going back and it was drawing my attention. I went back in there and I started to look at people's pages and see who they were. Like, who is, why would you say something like this? It's yeah, so what's hurtful. your life? And then I looked and I go, you really don't need me slamming you because your life, yeah. I can see it because everybody's mm-hmm. life is on social media. Whether they realize they're doing it or not, we're, we're telling our emotions on social. Mm-hmm. And we exactly, you want to see something about anybody's life, you go onto social media and you see what's going on. And I look at their lives and I'm like, you don't need me saying anything. I know why you said what you yeah. did because you feel a certain way about yourself. And in this moment, by trying to bring me down and slamming me, you temporarily feel better about yourself and what's going on in your life. Yeah. And that's okay. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. I'm not going to slam you for that. Right. I actually feel such a similar way. I'm always like, if this is what gets them by for today. Yeah. You know, hopefully a minimal amount of people have to experience them lashing that out and throwing it around like other people really deserve that when they don't. And hopefully, you know, quickly here, mm-hmm. letting it out, you can start to heal. There was a, do you ever hear the rice experiment with Dr. Emoto? No. So there was a scientist in Japan, his name's Dr. Emoto, and he did this experiment with rice and he took white rice and he put it in vials and each one was in a different room. And so he had the, the scientists go up and at one uh, one vial of rice, they, they said beautiful, sweet things. So it talked a bunch of love and you know good, positive energy to this mm. vial of rice. The next one, they yelled and screamed out, said horrible things to it. And the last vial of rice, mm. they, just, they didn't touch it. They totally ignored it. The first vial, after X amount of time, I don't remember what it was, it was perfect. Like nothing wrong with it. It was fine. The one that they yelled and screamed at started to turn, started to decay a little bit. Yep. And so you notice like the, the angry vibrations, the, um, the lower vibrational energy cause it to turn and start to decay. Yeah. And then third one, this is the interesting one, the one that was left all by itself, no interaction whatsoever, rotted in the same amount of time. Mm. They were all three, same conditions, same amount of time, zero energy towards it. It wow. just turned and rotted. And when you think about it, you know, rice is full of water. It was cooked rice, so it's full of water. And water holds emotion. He also did amazing experiments that showed water retains memories and it carries emotional vibration with it. He did, uh, he did another experiment where he froze water crystals at, immediately after doing something very similar where the scientists would talk very nice about 
you know, to, to the water and then they freeze it instantaneously. And when they looked at it under an electron microscope, it formed these beautiful geometric wow. patterns, like incredible geometric patterns. The ones that they yelled at and said angry things to chaotic, no, no crystalline structure whatsoever to it. And so it shows how much energy is there, but getting back to the, the haters, when we give them that energy, it creates chaos. Mm-hmm. When we give them zero energy, they just rot. And I, I, I know it's kind of going against what we were trying to say. We we're trying to be nice, but it's like, I just give them no energy. Well, that does need to rot. That part of you needs to rot off and feel so bad within yourself yeah. that you heal it. And, you know, I'm by no means 100% healed in anything, right? Like I'm a work in progress like everyone. But one thing I can say is I've never logged onto an account and been like, you're ugly to someone. That to me is like crazy. I've always seen that as crazy. Yeah. But also it makes sense, like what the studies you just mentioned about the rice and the water, Mm -hmm. because I've seen those studies with plants and how plants will die. And Mm -hmm. it's a known thing by people who garden. Like you say nice things to your plants. So imagine like what it does to an actual human being who is, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I won't say more complex than a tree because what do I know? Like trees been here longer than right. I, <laughs> but in our own different way, you know, you see it. And yeah. so you either contribute to that or you don't. And I've contributed to hurting people, you know, in the last 10 years and over the course of my life and will to the day I die. But I think it's an ongoing journey of minimizing it and unpacking why you're doing it when you do it. We're human. Yeah. I could say the only people I now will like hurt, like in, like intentionally sometimes are like maybe like my fiance when we get in a fight and if I'm so heated, I'll say something that is just like mean and like unnecessary and not contributing to us figuring out the problem. And whenever I do that, I'm always like, that was so not cool of me. Like he doesn't have to even ask for an apology. I will do it pretty quickly because I think it's just about having that self-awareness mm-hmm. of like when when the energy separates and you cool down yeah. and you see it yourself. Yeah. I love that. And also think about what happens how, what you say to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if if someone else if a third party's thoughts can affect rice. Think yeah. about what it, within your own head if your internal dialogue every day monologue is like, you know, my life sucks, I'm not happy, I'm not you got to like lie to yourself a little bit. Words are things. Yeah. yeah. Like on January 1st, I literally was like, I'm going to have the best fucking year. This oh, is, yes. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be the best year of my life. I was like, 2023 was so awesome. I like accomplished things that blew my mind in 2023. And I really, I feel like did a lot of things I'm very proud of. And I'm like, that's going to be nothing compared to this year. You should be proud. I, but I've you say it you and rise. it becomes, you it's, know. It, uh, who was it? Was it? Maya Angelou, I think she said, she said words are things like they get into, they get into the curtains, they get into the clothing and like the energy stays. And I've always been a a big uh, subscriber to, you know, when we speak something, it's spoken into existence. It it goes out through our, our, um, our mouths, our auditory system, our ears, it re-registers into our brain. Our brain re-registers it and it starts to believe those things that you say. I believe that. I, I do too. And I love your positivity. If you could say, you know, some some ending words here, if you could give a piece of advice to the world as Blair, you know, in your current stage of life. Okay. What would you say to the world? I would just say... Oh my God, that's such a big one. Um, it is, right? Okay. All the things that you've learned, the, the, the oh, okay. culmination of everything that you've learned to okay. today, what would you that's say good, to yeah. the world? I would say that happiness is 
not only a choice, I think that the fact that you even want it means that you do know what it is because you have experienced it. You were at one time happy. So like, I think that part of being healthy, both like physically, mentally, spiritually, all of that is just making sure that even when you fall off of it, you're always on a path towards, let me just get happy again. Let me try to stay happier for longer than I did last time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just try to live in that as much as you possibly can. Because I've lived in the misery. I've lived in other people's misery they put on me. And just like you said, all that stays, you know. Part of me thinks I couldn't stay in like, I don't know, like my childhood home just because in the walls there was the negative energy. So I fought my way out of it and now I do everything I can to stay in it. So just try to fool yourself that you're happy until you are and then you just will be. Fake it till you make it. Yes. Period. <laughs> and with happiness, it's, it really works. It really does. It does. That was beautiful. Uh, Blair, when people are looking to find you, they want to find out more about you, where do they go? Uh, just search up Blair White. There's a rabbit hole. You know, I'm sure you'll have fun. <laughs> believe what you want to believe, believe what you don't want to believe. Uh, and uh, my channel, youtube.com slash Blair White X. I'm Ms. Blair White on every platform. And there's an E at the end of Blair. Everyone forgets. And iPhone actually autocorrects E out of Blair, which sucks. But yeah, <laughs> you'll find me. You'll find me. Well, Blair, this has been wonderful. Thank you, Thank so, you so much, much for having for coming me. on. You're a wonderful human. You're a beautiful soul. Thank you for likewise. Thank, thank you. you for getting deep and honest with us here. Of Love course. You. Quick reminder, this is a listener-supported podcast, so take a moment, head over to the Patreon, show your support. It's patreon.com forward slash Gabby Tuft if you want to see the video. It's all there for every podcast episode, as well as lots of behind-the-scenes footage, video, and photographs, and even some images that uh, Instagram and social media probably won't let me show. Head on over and subscribe to the Patreon.